Bruce. We love you. All of these songs that you have sung are perfect songs for this message uh, today. So I think the Lord sent you here. I already knew that. Well, we might as well hear what our Father has to say to us, right? So we come to uh, the scriptures to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. As we begin this series, we're going to start right in the middle. Let us stand because what we're going to be hearing is our Father's word. Starting in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, we'll begin in verse 14. Christ's love compels us. May I say that again? Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and was raised again. So, from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though once we regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. And this is the word of God. Thanks, yeah, thanks be to God. You may take your seat. Well, as we begin 2019, we are going to be listening to what God has to say through 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. So you might as well just put that in your Bible and mark it for the next nine weeks. This is the a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote when he was being heavily criticized for the way that he was living his life as a Christian. And, and the criticisms which were often filled with really negative accusations about him, came from people in a church, people that he loved, and it was a church that he had founded at great, great cost to him personally. So the real question is, when you read 2 Corinthians, is this, why did the Apostle Paul live the way that he did? because he began to live a very different life that in many people's eyes looked much harder and more difficult than the life that he had lived before. And Paul's, and we're going to, to look at this, what we're doing, and as I said, we're looking at the middle of his letter rather than at the beginning. And I'll tell you why, because at the middle, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, especially verses 14 and 15, we find Paul explaining to us what it was that changed every aspect of his life. And it's all summarized in this phrase. I put it back up here for you so that you cannot miss it. Christ's love compels us. I'll stop there for a moment. Uh, the word compels really means urges forward. It's the thing that directs everything else. Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all. So here, here's what I'm gonna do. I'm, I'm gonna do, sort of use the approach of a photographer, the way that a photographer goes about his or her work. Uh, when a photographer takes a picture, uh, it's always important to get the right thing into focus. So I had Nate or Wabi go up to my office and take a couple of pictures in my office. Sometimes, 
you want to get everything into focus, right, when you take a picture so that, so that you can see it all, like you see that picture of a cup there, and it's kind of in, in, kind of in focus as, as you look at it, so that you see the whole of the thing. Sometimes, though, when you take a picture, the thing that should be in focus isn't in po focus. So you can see in this sec second picture, if the thing I wanted you to see was that cup, well, you can see it's not quite looking the way it's supposed to look. But then there are times when a photographer takes a picture that the one most important thing you want to have at the very center of the focus of what you're going to be seeing. So we have it look something like this. You can keep that picture in your mind. That's what I want to do today. We're, we're going to be looking at the whole of our lives these next nine weeks. The way we, our attitudes, our our thoughts, uh, the decisions that we make, even, even areas like our, our stewardship. But, but really all of that uh, has to have one thing that stands at the heart of it all. And that's where I want to start today. I want to put like a laser-like hyper-focus on this one thing that, uh, that, that's gonna be the center of this message. So today, uh, we're gonna put, us, put our focus on that one thing that affects every other thing about the way you and I live. And the question that I wanna ask is this, what does it mean for you and me to live a life that is compelled by, directed by Christ's love? I wanna show you what 2 Corinthians 5, 14 to 15 says. Some of this is so simple, it's just going to be the gospel 101 sort of message that we need to, I think we need to hear again and again. And the first thing that we see in this is something that every genuine Christian discovers. You've gotta discover this, that Jesus loves you. Ah, oh, choir, you, you've been singing to us about this. He knows everything about us, Jesus loves you. And so you have this powerful phrase, because we've discovered this, Christ's love compels us. See, the declaration of the New Testament uh, is that this is the very start of living for Jesus in this world. If it's not true that Jesus loves you and me and all people, then I have no good news to bring you here at Lake Avenue Church. But I've got to tell you something. God knows everything about you. He knows even all of those things that you don't love about yourself. He knows all those things that you and I try to hide from everybody around us. We even try to ignore them ourselves. But God knows. And knowing everything about you, God loves you with an everlasting and unrelenting love. Anybody believe that? So, so whatever last year held for you, whatever happened last week in your life, whatever you are facing today, know this. Jesus has not given up on you and never will. He loves you, so hear the word of God. The Apostle Paul, in praying for churches so that the people who went to church actually had their lives changed, <laughs> prayed this for another church in Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. I pray that you may grasp this, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And I pray that you will not only grasp that, 
I pray you will experience that love of Christ that goes beyond human knowledge. So I'll tell you, whatever else I preach here at Lake Avenue Church, this week or any other week, I pray that you will grasp that, that Jesus loves you, and I pray that when you come here to church, something will happen, that you will experience this depth of love that God knows you and loves you with a depth of love that goes beyond anything that you could ever ask or even imagine. That's where it starts. Now, the outworking of that love of Jesus. What does his, the love of Christ, what did this actually compel him to do? And here is this phrase, Jesus died for you. Do you notice this phrase? Here's something we're convinced of. Every genuine follower of Jesus, we are convinced that one died for all. And we're going to think about the implications of that. That makes us see one another differently, doesn't it? Because we know that one died for all. So with this one, there is a hard and cold truth about everybody here at Lake Avenue Church today and everybody you will meet when you leave church today that, that we simply have to own up to if this message will have any meaning to us. That Jesus had to die if you and I would ever have any hope. There is no hope apart from the cross. I'll tell you, this is a message that I think too often when we go to church, the preacher either tries to ignore or soften. But, but I dare not ignore it or ever soften it when I speak to you. And what it really declares is there are things in your life when you come to church that you know deep down are not pleasing to God, things that separate you from a holy God, the same holy God who loves you with an everlasting love. And, and you know this too. It's not just true of you, it's, it's, it's true of the preacher too, right? You know that. And the thing I want to say to you, yes, I got one yes. I thought I'd get all, all, all sorts of amens on that one. It was also true of the Apostle Paul. Now, you've got to think about the Apostle Paul. In the eyes of everybody in his society, he would have been a righteous one, you know. He would have been the religious one, just like people think about the senior pastor. He wrote all about that in Philippians chapter 3. And really, the Apostle Paul had worked really hard to keep God's law and to do all the things he thought was right. But in his heart, he knew he hadn't done so, not, not perfectly. And then that one day, if you don't know the story, read Acts chapter 9, you'd see it. One day when Jesus met him on the road where Paul was going to kill other people, Paul had his eyes opened up to the fact of what was inside of his heart. And when he began to see himself, really, the way that a perfect God saw him, I mean, Paul, I don't know if it was for the first time in his life, he owned up, he owned up to the flaws that he tried to hide or he tried to ignore. And essentially what happened when he opened his eyes to that and came with all of that stuff inside of him to God, he heard God say to him, Paul, I sent Jesus to die for you. Paul, when your faith is in Jesus, the sins that you have that should lead to death, they will be atoned for. Your sins I will remember no more. This is the message he heard. You see it, the thing I want you to see is Paul's sin and all the things that were in his life were met by and exceeded by God's love and grace for him. 
So when you, when you read the life of the Apostle Paul, he would have been up here singing with the Walter Hoving choir. He considered himself the worst of all sinners, but he knew at the same time he was a sinner loved eternally by God and rescued by the grace of a God who had never given up on him. And knowing that, it compelled every aspect of his daily living. So I've been talking, as I always do, I've been talking with folks about this all week, and so many times, many people like, like us who go to church a lot have asked me the question, I see that Paul's experience of, you know, the love of God like that, that he would rescue even him when he was going to murder other Christians, that that really changed his life, but how, how can I experience love that way? You know, we often take it for granted. We've heard it so often, right? How can I experience the love of God so deeply that it affects every moment and every part of my life so that my, my walk with the Lord is real? That, there's no easy answer to that question. That deep experience of the love of God can come to us in so many different ways, but I can tell you the way it came to the Apostle Paul. The depth of his experience of Christ's love flowed from his conviction that because of the seriousness of his own sins, he had no hope in and of himself. That he, there's no way he could earn the love of God. His only hope was for someone else to come and to take his place and to be willing to atone for himself. And who would ever love anybody that much? And he came to learn from Jesus himself that Jesus loved him that much. It seems like it's only when we're willing to own up to this fact that there's no hope apart from me, apart from the fact that Jesus dies for me, that we'll ever really be overwhelmed by a love that actually will do that. You know, Jesus himself spoke about this in Luke chapter 7. Do you know that story? I hope you'll read it if you don't. Jesus was in this Pharisee's house. Again, that would be kind of like being in the senior pastor's house. He was in the Pharisee's house uh, with all these on the outside looking perfect people when a woman whom everybody knew had been living a life of prostitution broke into the house. You know this story, don't you? Saw Jesus lying there eating she was weeping because of the kind of life that she'd been living, but she'd heard something about the grace of this man to meet other people. She rushes over to him. She's weeping so much that she wets his feet with her tears. Then she dries his feet with her hair and then pours perfume on them. Now, what, can you imagine being there? If you'd come over to my house and that, what, can you imagine this happening? It must have been scandalous going in the Pharisee's house and Simon, the owner of the house, the Pharisee, saw it and knew what he did. He criticized Jesus, saying, this man couldn't be from God. He wouldn't talk with a person like this. He wouldn't let her touch him. This, this woman is, is a prostitute. She's a sinner. And you know what Jesus said? He turned to him knowing what Simon was thinking. He said, Simon, I came into your house and you didn't even welcome me. You didn't even give me any water to wash my feet. But this woman, ever since she came into the house, has been wetting my feet with her tears and has not stopped honoring me. 
Therefore, did you notice, have you ever noticed, he said, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love shows. You see it? But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. I got to tell you something. That woman did not need forgiveness any more than Simon did. He needed it just as much as she did. Anybody agree with me there? But she recognized her deep need to be made clean and to have a new life. She longed for it. And when she saw Jesus, she saw the only hope to have a new life. And I'll tell you, I think she was just overwhelmed by Jesus' readiness to, to meet her with love, to value her as no one else ever had, and, and to pronounce her forgiven. And then he even says, go in shalom, a new life I give to you. I'll tell you, I, I've written this for you and see if you agree with me. Our experience of God's love is directly proportionate to our awareness of our need of forgiveness, a forgiveness that is made possible only by the death of Jesus for us. So I'll just tell you, if you feel like you're not experiencing how much Jesus loves you, it may be that you haven't yet acknowledged how desperately you need that love. Tim Keller says it. He says, we are more wicked than we ever dare to think. Do you believe that? At the same time, we are more loved than we ever dare to hope or even to imagine. Both are true. So here again, the word of God from 1 John 4, verses 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into this world that we might live through him. This is love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And don't we say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. So that, that's the beginning that we, we, we see that God loves us and that he had to die for us. Now, the response to God's love. Here, here's the part. You die too. When you know how much you're loved, you die too. Look at the way Paul puts it. One died for all, and therefore all, and I think in Christ, all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again. Now, anybody who sees this, uh, you may find that this whole teaching about Christians somehow dying so that we can live, you may find that to be very, very confusing. <laughs> but the Bible talks about living and dying in several different ways. You and I can be physically alive and just be dead, dead as a rock to God, to eternal God. On the other side, so we can die physically and have a life that never is taken away. What, what the Bible here means by all die, I'll just tell you this, it's something that doesn't come naturally to me. And I bet it doesn't come naturally to you either. So let me explain it. What, what the Bible's talking about when it says that all die, it's a death to self. It's a death to self, to, to a self-directed life 
Did you notice verse 15, the way he defines it? All die, and that means we no longer live for ourselves. We no longer live for ourselves. No, we, we die to that hopeless way of living that our whole world tells us that's real living. So if you want to have a real life, it's sort of in our world, what, what are you told? Well, put, up, put together your bucket list, all those things you want to do, and, and you do them. You can get it yourself. Build your dream house, get your dream job, uh, succeed in some ways in the way that the world views success. Now, I've got to be really clear here. Believe it or not, Christians do sometimes succeed even in the eyes of the world. <laughs> we, we really do. And that's not a bad thing to do. But, but what he's saying is this, success in the eyes of the world is not what defines us. It's not what we live for. It's not what directs us. And if that success in the eyes of the world is taken away from us, it does not take our life away from us. We have experienced the love of Christ, so now we live our lives for him, the one who died but then rose again. What happens is when you live your life for him and not trying to just please your own wishes or to try to please everybody else, it takes away all other fears. It's the fear of the perfectionist, isn't it? That I'm not going to please everybody. I'm not going to be absolutely perfect. Doesn't it just ruin your life to try to do that? But here, the only one we have to please, the only one we have to fear is God who has already declared to us that in Christ, nothing will separate us from his love that has come to us. It just sets us free. Now we're gonna come back to this point again and again in this series and try to talk about how this changes every part of our lives. But let me just say this very simply right now. This point of us dying to self and living for Christ is what baptism is all about. Have, have you ever been baptized? If you're a follower of Jesus and, and, and you haven't been, you need to be. And if you look in your worship service folder, you can find out when you can do that right here. But, but in your baptism, Romans chapter six, the apostle Paul says, it's just so physically uh, depicted when you see it. We are buried with Christ in his death. In other words, all of those things that used to be my life, that I just directed it myself, those things are gone. I'm not gonna live for myself anymore. All the sins that were a part of that, they're washed away. So, so the old is gone, and we are risen, we come out of the water to live a new life, a new life empowered by Christ, one compelled by the love of the one who died for you and was raised again for you. So, so I'll ask you at this point, have you ever followed the Lord in baptism? Uh, perhaps today is the day that you say, it is time for me to declare it. Uh, that in that very wet water that you will never forget. <laughs> I have been buried with Christ. That life is gone. My life is his. I am risen to walk a new life. And that life, I tell you, is compelled by your experience of Jesus. Which brings me to my last point today. The difference the love of Jesus makes. And this simple statement I, I want to say is this. When you follow Jesus, you really do begin to live a new life. And in um, one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, well, first in verse 16, he says, what happens is when you realize Christ died for all and loves all, you see people in a different way. 
We'll come back to that. We won't be troubled by, by skin color or what people have done in their past. No, no, we see all people as loved by God and there's hope for all human beings, right? But then he says, this is true of us all. Verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone, that person becomes a new creation. This is a great verse for the, for the beginning of a new year. The old... Whatever you brought today, that's gone. The new has come. The new has come. So I'll I'll just tell you, different from what perhaps some have heard in churches, Jesus did not merely come to die to forgive your sins. He did die for that, hallelujah. (laughs) Not only for that. Jesus died to rescue you from that way of life that takes you away from God. He died and then he rose again so that you and I can actually be remade. This could be remade. Tomorrow does not have to be the same as yesterday was. It does not. Because Jesus loves you and he can and will change things. Again, we'll be thinking about this all this year, what that really looks like. But before we go to communion today, where we're going to remember the death of Christ for us all, I simply want to tell you, as I so often feel like I have to, that this new life, this change of life, this, the old being completely gone, that doesn't happen in a moment. I wish it happened faster than it did, don't you? It is a process that takes place. I was speaking about this with a group of my colleagues, Janine, Pastor Janine is here in front, and, and Chris Ramsey, who works with our young adults and with our Sunday evening services, was over there sketching a diagram So I looked at it, so he didn't know it was going to make it into the sermon, but it did. I've modified it just a minute. So if you look up there, the modified uh, Ramsey diagram, I think this will help you. So on the one side, we have becoming like Christ. That's what he promises us we will be. I'm not there, are you? I mean, fully, complete in Christ, fully conformed to the image of Jesus, but that's where we're headed. Then on the other line, we have our life's journey. As you look at that uh, uh, diagram, you can see the life that we live without Christ. And we heard in the testimony today something about that. You live, and it doesn't mean that you don't love people and want to do what is right. You really do. But you, you just find that sometimes you just can't do it. And often, in fact, you go farther and farther away from the kind of life God would have you to, to live. And then you meet Jesus. And that's when you are born again. You're made alive to God. The Spirit of God comes within. You're made a part of a community. And what should be happening is as you meet Christ, that growth begins to happen, begins to happen. It doesn't happen again as quickly as we would like. And sometimes it feels like we we take steps in the wrong direction, right? Amen? (laughs) But I'm going to tell you today, the message that the Apostle Paul is giving us is this, if we have that diagram up there. Every aspect of that growth, every aspect of our lives that become more and more like Jesus is compelled by the depth of your appreciation for the love of Christ. It is the love of Jesus that compels, that urges forward every part of your life. So what does that say? It makes me ask you this question. Have you ever experienced the love of Jesus? And even for the first time, prayed something like this. 
I'll have a prayer. See if you might want to pray it even as I say it. Lord Jesus, here is my life. I ask you to forgive whatever needs, whatever sins need to be forgiven. I now turn from that life I have been living and I give my entire future in faith to you. Jesus, I entrust my whole life to you. That's where it begins. And if you're more like me, and you long again, long ago, began this journey that is compelled by the love of Christ, but you feel like you've gotten stuck, and you need to move forward again, do you know what this passage is saying to you? It's saying you need a fresh experience of how much Jesus loves you. You must remember that without Jesus being willing to die for you, you would have no hope. Church people, I don't want you to be like Simon the Pharisee who looks at others saying, oh, they need forgiveness. Yeah, they need, they need forgiveness. Maybe I need a little bit, but not as much. You need it as much as anybody else does. You and I need to be forgiven much. And I'll just declare to you that Jesus loves you so much that he is ready today to forgive you much. And to give you a new beginning, a new joy in your walk with him. So we are going to go to what Jesus himself told us that we should do when we gather as believers. For those visiting with us, uh, this is the Lord's table, it is not ours. If you know the Lord Jesus as your savior, we want you to come and remember how much he loved you. Before we go, um, uh, I want us to take just a moment, if you just bow your heads for a moment. And in prayer, as you look back over this past year and even this past week, do you see things in your life that you know don't please God? Will you confess those to him right now? Oh Lord, open our eyes. May the light of your spirit and of your word shine into each one of our minds and our hearts and our lives that we may see what keeps us from the joy you would have us to have. Confess whatever needs to be confessed. And now hear the good news. If you will confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just and he will forgive you your sins and he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. In our communion time here at Lake, what we do is this. Um, we have our stewards who are gonna be coming to the table now. As the music is playing and as you feel ready to come, to step out from wherever you are, you'll see we have tables in the middle of the worship center and up in the balcony as well. If you have a gluten allergy all the way to my right and on your left, that's where you can go, that's your, your table. As I said, if you are visiting with us today, if you know the Lord Jesus as your savior and your heart's desire 
is to follow him with all of your heart and with all of your life. Please come. I'm going to put that verse back up here for you so that you can keep looking at it. For the love of Christ compels us. For we are convinced that one died and he died for all. So the more that you realize that, come, come. Hold on to the elements. You'll receive the, uh, the cup and the bread. Take them back to your seats. Hold on to them. and Then I'll come back up and we'll receive them together.